This week on Lunchbox Reaction, we diverge from our usual format for the first of a special two-part interview with artist and author Jared Cullum, the creator of the wonderful graphic novel Cody. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. This week, we're talking about the 2020 graphic novel Cody by Jared Cullum. Cody tells the story of Katya, a young girl visiting her grandma in Alaska, who meets and befriends Cody, a giant Kodiak bear. The two become fast friends, but when Katya is called back to her hometown of Seattle, a giant hole is left in both of their hearts. Can they overcome the odds and reunite? Find out in this touching, wonderful story. Jared Cullum is a Rubin Award-winning, two-time Eisner Comic Industry Award-nominated author-cartoonist and self-described painter of things. He has written and painted story and concept art for IDW, Frenemy Studios, Boom Arkea, Insight Editions, and Jim Henson Productions, working on titles such as Planet of the Apes, Firefly, Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, Fraggle Rock, and Storyteller. His debut graphic novel, Cody, received a Rubin Award for Best Graphic Novel and has been translated into multiple languages, including French, Spanish, Polish, Ukrainian, and Russian. We all love the book and its unique watercolor style so much that we reached out to Jared about appearing on our show. He kindly accepted. As you'll hear in this, the first half of our two-part interview, Jared loves talking about the process of art, studying the masters of the Impressionist era, and the process involved in creating a graphic novel. We began our interview by admiring Jared's desk and workspace. Oh, thanks. I spent, oof, I don't know how many years just working on the kitchen table. So <laughs> we moved to Pittsburgh and this was a closet at one point and it had all these shelves all in it. And so I, I ripped them all out. And this was a old desk uh, that I, in Richmond, I moved here from Richmond, Virginia and I've, it was like an alleyway desk. Someone that an art school had closed and they were throwing all the desks out. So I took it and sanded it down and, and then built it into the, into the wall. Wow. Nice. You're very dedicated. <laughs> it's nice to having the, cause I have a pallet area over here on a cabinet that flips out so I can sort of, you, to keep up, you know, with digital people, I have to work like five pages at a time. So I will usually lay out five different pages that I'm working on and go, you know, watercolor, you have to let it dry. So I'll do one page and then put it aside and another page and then put it aside. Oh, Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> it's a system. Okay. <laughs> anyway, well, welcome. You are, our, you Thanks. are our very first guest that we've ever had. Cool. So it's very exciting. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So welcome. I'm to happy our... to be here. Thank you all for having me. I'm honored to sit down and chat with you all about yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, your book is just so fabulous and beautiful. And thank you. I got it right here. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> That's familiar. I've said to myself, if I could have one wish, it's that I could have your book the size of a coffee table book. Oh. Because I would love to see the pictures just huge. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'll, you'll ha have to see if I can get you a copy of the French version. The, uh, the French version of it, they printed, uh, I don't have it on hand, but they, uh, they printed it more sort of magazine size oh. it's like uh, oh wow maybe uh you know there's a, a lot of books in france they usually go pretty big it, like especially with graphic novels they put a lot of uh, money into their books they make them real works of art so um i was real honored when they they did cody because they they made a real nice like piece out of it it's a hardcover and kind of cloth bound and much wow. larger Goodness. so 
We need to go to France this instant. Well, Evan, you want to kick things off? Okay. So we have a lot of questions here for you today. Sounds fun. What made you interested in art? How or just how did you get your start? Sure. Uh, wow. So I it was kind of, you know, and and honestly, Cody was sort of supposed to be kind of a metaphor for this sort of journey for myself, which is that um, I was very interested in art when I was very young. And I used to draw all the time and, and just fill reams of paper with these little stick figure comics. I, I wanted to draw comics. I didn't read a lot of comics. I, I was really drawn to animation, though. I really loved old Disney animation. People like Milk Call, who I didn't know at the time, I didn't have any idea who these people were. But at the time, I was really drawn to things like Disney's Robin Hood, uh, Winnie the Pooh, 101 Dalmatians, Jungle Book, stuff like that. So old Disney. I was always really drawn to the life and vitality of that artwork. And I wanted to draw like that. And I used to draw all the time. And I drew all the time, pretty much up until I was 16. And I had never really had like a specific talent for it. And I had never really had the knowledge that you could get better if you just practiced. And so at a certain point, it felt like, well, I'm not going anywhere with this. And it didn't feel like I had a future in it. So I kind of gave up art and quit and did other stuff and eventually made my way to going to school for graphic design, which didn't have any drawing in it. And in fact, the school I went to, had I gone for painting, they wouldn't have even had the kind of painting that I like or would, or wanted to learn. And I just sort of moved on with my life and kind of gave it up because I didn't feel like I was ever going to make it or do anything with it. And then I just couldn't really kick the habit. So after a while of working as a graphic designer at a company, I started kind of drawing again and started getting into it again. Uh, I basically had a friend who ended up being a writing mentor who was like, you know, you talk about drawing a lot and you love drawing, like you should just draw. And so it just sort of like unlocked it for me. And so I started drawing all the time and um, she gave me some books to read and I just became obsessed. And so I, at the time I had really wanted to become an inker. I thought that was like really cool. And the people I was reading at the time were all inkers. And so I thought that was like the height of cool art. And so I only did ink drawings. I only wanted to do ink drawings for like years and years and years up until about seven years ago. And then I went to this school that was doing a weekend workshop. And so I went there and they had a library of graphic novels. And in that library, they had a section of French graphic novels. And I noticed that a lot of the French graphic novels were colored with watercolor and they were just kind of colored like you would uh, like a coloring book page, which is to say they weren't really trying to like paint light necessarily or paint in a sort of, I guess you'd call it painterly sense. They were just coloring it. And that seemed very simple to me. And I, I really liked the kind of subtlety of it. So this guy, uh, Louis Trondheim in particular, who does these little journal comics and they're not like, there's no great epic hero's arc or, or story. He just does these little, very simple comics that are just like, I woke up, I got coffee and I picked my kid up and kid had soccer practice, the end. And they're very simple. Like something you would see in a newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. And just very simple, um, little sort of moments in his day and life. And he collects them in volumes. I have a bunch of them on my bookshelf. They're just volumes and volumes of these very simple little things that he has colored with watercolor. And I thought that was so cool. And so I wanted to try that and I wanted to try painting but I had never had any interest in painting in particular. I always thought painting was sort of stuffy and boring and art history 
I just always thought it was kind of boring and wasn't really interested in it. And then I tried painting and it was just like a fish in water. Like it just was, I just felt like alive, like absolutely alive. And then it just, I tried to dip my toe in it basically. And it, I discovered it was this whole galaxy that I've, I've only, I've been doing it for uh, painting for about seven years now. And I really feel like I've just started to get a basic understanding of what I'm doing with it. And then I'm just discovering all the greats before me that I'm sort of building the knowledge on top of. So I, I do a great deal of my time. I spend studying art history and studying old painters from my particular favorite is the late 1800s out of France. There was a really great and in the US too, we have this guy named Winslow Homer. So I like to study those guys and then apply the kind of artistic painterly, which is to say they're trying, they're recreating light to tell a story. They're using light the way the room is lit or the scene is lit to communicate an idea and tell a story it really like transports you to that place. And I, I, my goal was to see if I could marry that kind of idea with the old Disney movies. So, you know, 1970s up to nineties Disney. And that's kind of how I sort of landed where I landed with my stylistic choices with art, but getting there was just drawing a lot. So I, when I was, then I started drawing, I drew a whole lot. And then I started doing, um, at the time, a lot of people were doing web comics, these short newspaper strips style comics, where it was just four panels. And that to me was like bite-sized and simple. And I didn't have to, I, cause I had no idea how to write a book. And I wasn't really interested in writing a graphic novel either at the time. And so I was doing these strips and I did maybe 500 of these little journal strips of just day in the life kind of journal strips. Uh, before I decided I wanted to take a break and really study painting and study drawing and kind of go through the more kind of classical approach to studying how to draw and paint. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very good with concision. <laughs> okay. Linnea has a question next. So Cody is a really unique story, and we were wondering if you could tell us if there is anything specific that inspired you to make it. Sure. Yes. Whoa. I wish I hadn't said I will try to be concise before answering that. <laughs> um, uh, I So Cody was basically, so the whole start of Cody was that I really got into doing graphic novels and I wanted to do a graphic novel, and I had been doing mini comics, which are just kind of bite-sized comics um, that anybody can do. So basically it was just as simple as like taking a sheet of paper, fold it in half, do that a couple times. So you have four and then just draw your comic and then you could Xerox them. And then you'd have multiples of these comics and you could go to shows and like sell them or trade them with friends. And so I was doing a lot of those and I was doing a lot of short stories, but I really wanted to do something much bigger than I was doing. So I got I was doing, I was, because I wanted to do inking, I was doing all ink comics. And then I started doing those journal comics at the same style. So just small foldable ones, but I wanted to do something much bigger. And so I was trying to come up with ideas. So I kept kind of coming up with these short ideas. And so I was trying to learn how to write. I had a, a mentor who was helping me, guiding me with how to write and how to kind of generate ideas and then also sort of arrange them correctly uh, in, a, in the form of a story. And I had come up with uh, three ideas, which was one was the uh, this idea I was doing. I tend to think about um, story very visually, which is sort of a problem I have, to be honest. I have always had a hard time with uh, words 
with writing words, clearly speaking words. And uh, I always have had a hard time typing words or like looking at words or journaling a lot of words specifically, because just for whatever reason, I have a hard time with the input and output of words. But visually, I could run forever. I can come up with ideas. So typically, I will, when I'm coming up with ideas, I'll typically storyboard the idea in, in the form of these these small kind of um, little generated ideas because I can see it more clearly. And for someone's listening, I was just showing a small storyboard sketchbook. So, uh, but I will come up with storyboards is the word for it. And I had generated a bunch of storyboards and these sort of just general ideas of things, scenes that I saw in my head very clearly. And then I will usually try to create a whole lot of those. I always have thought of writing for me and idea generation is kind of like when you're trying to make spaghetti and you want to know that the noodles are done and you just throw them at the wall and hope something sticks. So for me, I just generate as many ideas as I can. And I had come up with three that I was really interested in. One was about a bear that gets lost in the city. And then one was about this sailor who was down on hard times and trying to like rebuild his life. And then the third idea was about a high school aged girl living in Seattle. And so I had these different ideas and I was working on each of them and trying to come up with a full story because it couldn't just be like my ideas were always like, here's the picture. And then it was like, well, then what happens? And I just question marks. I was talking with that writing mentor of mine and and it, she was the one who kind of guided me to like, well, you know, you have these three ideas. Well, what if we kind of thread them together? And then you can build a beginning, a middle and an end that actually has a thorough story to it that could last longer than just 20 pages at a time, because everything I was doing was these little pot shot stories. And that just it, it clicked for me. And so I started working on the older woman uh, or the older girl with befriending this bear. And then I liked the idea of her being much younger because I liked the idea of the bear being much bigger and everything being much bigger in the story. Because to me, I, when I was thinking of the story of Cody and as I'm working, I'm currently working on Cody too. I'm trying to allow the influence of the, per, the eyeliner, the perspective, the, the persistent low set eye level of a young person. So, you know, she's I, maybe 11 or so. So to her, because of her lower eye level, the world is much bigger and kind of elongated or stretched or squashed in a kind of funny way. And so the men or uh, women or whatever, older people tend to be much kind of almost wonky looking, sort of squashed and stretched and rooms are much bigger maybe than they would necessarily be. And the bear himself is actually much bigger probably than a real bear would be, but um, it's supposed to be through her perspective. And I liked that idea. And I had also been uh, obsessed for years with an artist from the 1980s named Gabrielle Vincent, who did this book called Ernest and Celestine. And uh, they're just a children's book series. And it's about a little mouse that befriends a bear who is, she also does watercolor. And um, so I always liked that idea and I liked the idea of friendship. And then also it was sort of a reflection of my own sort of visual journaling at the time when I was writing about all these different things and making little short stories about my own life. And for, for me, it was about, uh, it, Cody, the bear became the kind of the idea of artistic expression, artistic freedom and joy in just finding your own place and, and being yourself. And then for my own personal biography. Uh, and I think, you know, I try not to explain this too much to people because I hope you would bring your own kind of context to the story and 
you know, even if it's just about friendship, that's great. But to me, it was about losing that at one point, falling in love with something, in my case, drawing and painting, well, not painting at the time, but drawing, losing that thing and moving on with your life, moving on to the city, so to speak, of, you know, noise and whatever, but then being able to rediscover that, that thing again, um, and that joy that was also kind of really inspired by by uh, my neighbor Totoro, which I don't know if y'all have seen, but oh, we love that movie. Yeah, we love it. That is a household movie. Yes, that's one of my all-time favorites because uh, similar. The I always thought of Cody similar to Totoro in that the concept was about both of them being about a young woman uh, girl going through an ordeal that is maybe more mature than it they are ready for and yet they still have this spirit of life and spirit of childhood or spirit of art and in the case of cody that's keeping them company and giving them comfort yeah i love miyazaki (laughs) (laughs) those are a huge influence obviously on both painting and writing i I really love his stuff and and totoro is probably my maybe my favorite i think of of his movies although i love all of them our first episode was nausicaa and the valley of the wind (laughs) oh wow that's a big one to, I mean, the the books, right? Or did you do the film? We did the film. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. But yeah, that, that movie is great. I really love that one. But the book's really beautiful, too. Also, very it's very dense. Like, he does a lot in one page. Porco Rosso, I don't know if y'all have ever gotten around to that one either. I It's one of my all-time favorites. Visually, it's stunning. I think the story might not be as exciting for younger people because it's kind of, um, it's it's meant to be, kind of an homage to old films to like uh, Casablanca style films. And so in that vein, it's much slower and much kind of, uh, uh, you know, it's sort of uh, hearkening to an era that I don't know that a lot of people would necessarily click with, but I, I love it visually because of course it's just a lot of beautiful backgrounds and, <laughs> you know, um, but the, he did, uh, that came from a comic as well. So he did a comic book of uh, Porco Rosa, which I also have over there. And it's a, uh, it's uh, beautiful, but very dense. They're all packed in very tightly. Wow. Which took more time, creating the story or actually painting and drawing it? That is a very good question. Probably almost, I think on Cody one, it might've been equal. Maybe it took longer painting and drawing because my life was just different than I was not doing comics full time and I wanted to be doing comics full time. But at that point in time, I might as well have wanted to, you know, be a rock star. You know, <laughs> I was not, I hadn't gotten anywhere with comics specifically in terms of an actual job. Uh, and so I could, I did not have the time that I do now to devote to sitting down and painting pages because at the time I was working a couple different jobs just to keep things going. And uh, so for me, and also because I, I struggled a lot with writing it because I just didn't have a lot of experience with writing. So when I did Cody, when I initially had the idea and I finally got the pitch together and I pitched it around, it was, it was rejected by, by pretty much everybody except the person who ended up publishing it. I got a couple of meetings, but most everyone, I, I just had piles and piles of rejection. It was discouraging, but I did end up getting like, I had a f- someone who said, we're not really interested in this, but you know, since you can draw this kind of kitty looking stuff, they might have use for you over here. And they sent it to someone else. And that person was like, I don't really want it, but I know someone that might want it over here. And they sent it to someone else at Jim Henson, actually. And Jim Henson was also like, we don't really want this, but they thought they could use me for some stuff. And so I started working for Jim Henson Productions through Arcadia 
doing, uh, I did Fraggle Rock and Labyrinth and some other stuff and, and I had a blast and I got to write some, but that, all, that started giving me some professional work that taught me, you know, Cody was like, I had all the time in the world because it didn't really matter. But then it was like, okay, well now I've got to figure out how to write a story like in a week. And they want three different stories, not just one, because they've got to pick one and then they pick one. And then, you know, and now they like the title in the beginning, but hate the rest. I got to, you know, it's like learning how to work professionally with people on how to, you know, not get your feelings hurt <laughs> and also how to turn around art, turn around stories much faster. It was a great experience for me. So now I feel like because I've kind of been through that and then also finishing Cody and then working on some other stuff. I've also spent the past so many years, like really just analyzing story as much as I can. So I'll watch Totoro or I'll watch a movie and then I like to take time in a journal and just write all every thought I have about both the story, the story structure, and then what these various elements might mean to me, what kind of context I'm bringing to it. And so I've been studying story a lot more and then also studying like the history of story and the philosophy of story. So studying people like, I mean, I don't want to put you guys to sleep, but like Joseph Campbell and some other people who were who people who studied like mythology and how, what is the thing that threads all these ideas together? What makes a story a story and what makes a story a good story good and what makes it sort of resonate with people historically and why do some stories seem to repeat themselves throughout history and throughout even our dreams will will sort of repeat over and over the same narratives the same stories that happen in ancient lore and mythology and in all all different historical contexts and so i became very interested in what makes a good story what makes a story interesting so i've i've uh, now at this stage I've gotten used to producing stories much quicker. And then I feel like I have a structure behind it. So I have like, I've studied enough of people like Joseph Campbell to have uh, like a structure, like a framework. And so now when I go to do a story, like when I went to do Cody 2, I have these sort of specific arcs and things that I can sort of pin up on a board and then try to make it line up a little more correctly. And at least gives me footing to move into completing stories. You kind of already answered this, but... Is there any like specific character designs that you thought were like really cool or you like took a while to come up with? Sure. Do you mean ones that I've designed or characters that I really like? Well, I think we're thinking specifically in Cody. Sure, sure. Apart from the bear, which was really fun to draw. And um, I watched a, a whole lot of nature documentaries and documentaries on bears and just pausing it every three seconds and drawing the frame over and over and over again was really fun to, uh, so drawing the bear was probably the most exciting part. And then just generally studying the anatomy. So studying how they're, how they move, how they walk, and then how that would influence things like how he stands up and how he, you know, moves or how he runs and how they run compared to, you know, how a dog might run and other things. So animating those things in my mind was always really fun. I think honestly, though, my favorite character to draw is Mima, the, the grandmother. So <laughs> who, uh, yeah, she was really interesting of a character. I feel like yeah, <laughs> she's, um, she rides motorcycles. Every, every grandma that rides motorcycles is cool in my book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's, uh, uh, so she's based on the visual memory of my own grandmother who I never, unfortunately I never really got to know, but um, I have a couple memories of her 
you know, and I think part of it is because I remember, remember her as a child. It's uh, obviously a much more visually exaggerated version. You know, my grandmother wasn't that heavy set, <laughs> uh, but uh, to me, it, she has elements, the sort of roundness and the kind eyes that I think of when I, in the vague memory I have of, of my grandmother, who I, I, I never really got to know. So to me, it was kind of fun to draw something that connected to me to that sort of visual memory. And then the character Joshua is, is an amalgamation of a couple different friends mm -hmm. of mine, uh, both in personality and in likeness. But yeah, I think uh, probably my favorite character to draw is Mima. <laughs> so we really like the shading and the way that you painted the water and clouds and trees. And we were wondering if these are techniques that you learned in school or that you developed yourself. Sure. So I did not go to school for painting and there aren't a ton of schools that teach the kind of painting that I really like to do, which is kind of like I was saying, the using light as a storytelling device. So for me, what I did, because I didn't go to school for it, I went to school, I ended up going to school for graphic design, uh, which was great and, and helpful, like skill to study. But when I wanted to learn painting, I really kind of studied historical painters and painters who I really loved. And I think it was, it helped me because it was like a good clean fuel in my artistic tank because I was finding people who I became very excited about and would be thrilled by. I'm still always looking for people to get really, really excited about and chase their stylistic choices and artistic choices. And so I got really into painters of the late 1800s. So and I'll, I'll try not to put you to sleep, but it's fine. We're re we're really interested in all this. Okay, good. I I have art, art history. If we get into art history, you're gonna have to just pull the plug on the thing because I will keep talking and 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 get in a, a rabbit hole that won't I won't come back. But uh, just to try to be concise, you have this big school that taught high realism, the Ecole des Beaux Arts, in in Paris, and it was the most esteemed great school that everyone wanted to get into and people ended up getting their work sort of refused from it and they all sort of revolted against this very high realism and so i love the very high realism people who did these paintings like there's a painting bouguereau and ang and um, jean-leon jerome are these french painters who were geniuses at creating realism realistic scenes but artists at the time were not really painting a lot outdoors and studying a lot outside. You, it was very difficult to take paint out because it dries and all that stuff. And they didn't really have the technology for it until about 1840 around that time, they invented metal tubes. You could carry paint in, so you could actually take paint and they started coming up with all these different chemical alternatives. So your palettes of colors became much more expanded in terms of what you could use. And so this group of painters sort of revolted against this school of very kind of you know, they were kind of hoity-toity. And so they revolted and they spoke to the person, Napoleon at the time. And Napoleon and various political figures came up with this salon then for the people who got rejected by the big school called the Salon des Refusés, the people who were refused entry. And some people were embarrassed about it and other people were just proud to have something up. But when they did this, this group of painters, you started getting people like uh, Monet, and people who were painting out in the field, Pissarro and Manet kind of dabbled in this group as another painter. And they started looking at light and painting on location. And then it, it's sort of like there was this like creative explosion around maybe eight, 1870, uh, 1868, 
up through the 1900s when things begin getting into modern and, and post-impressionist. But this era of art, you've probably heard of, which is called the Impressionists, because they came up with this idea of creating light and then telling a story with light. To And they were creating paintings that were examining like color and how color reacts and how uh, all the vast wonder of color that you would see and how they could sort of harness that in a painting. And they created a show of their own and the newspapers mocked them. People mocked them and they, they called them in a derogatory manner, the impressionists, because they were saying, these aren't real paintings. These are just like sketches. You're just making an impression. So people like Monet, they wore that as a badge of honor and they called themselves the impressionists. So, you know, Barrett Morisot is another great painter from that time. Then you get later, later folks from that era. So you have like John Singer Sargent, who's one of the greatest painters in history and uh, Mary Cassatt and Degas. I mean, the the list goes on and on and on of these great painters. So what I did is I got obviously very obsessed with that part of history. And I got every book, every library would let me um, and I would take every book. And if you go to the painting section of a library, usually they have these giant print versions of, uh, of art books. And so you could get all these artists. So I got really into um, those painters and then the uh, post-impressionist, so Soroya and a bunch of other painters later on, and I would collect all their books and I would just take sketchbooks and copy what they were doing. So I got a little watercolor box and I would just copy with the watercolor. How does Winslow Homer, for example, handle skies? So I would just copy every sky he did. And, uh, and they're all in private sketchbooks that I don't post because I mean, you I would obviously post them with attribution, but they're master studies. So they're just studying these people who, who, figured all this stuff out. So all, all these kind of math problems of how to paint uh, the sky, for example, and clouds, and they are all kind of tied up in these, you know, the, 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 the math has been done. These masters have done it. And so you can take the time and study these masters and figure out how they did it and then use that knowledge uh, for something else. So in my case, you know, I use it for cartoons, <laughs> but it's essentially the idea is the same, right? So when I'm drawing cartoons or when I'm out in the field doing like a strictly traditional painting, not trying to do something that's more realistic, essentially what I have discovered is you're doing the same thing, which sort of unlocked the, those worlds for me because I'm just trying to take the complexity of reality and all its crazy complex angles and shapes and colors and patterns and simplify it down into something that's very readable and understandable. And that's that is the key of painting and the key of cartooning, you know. Wow, wonderful. <laughs> wow. That was a lot. <laughs> I prefer that you tell like a full story because then like we get to know more about you. We get to figure out stuff that we would have sure. never known before about art too. Yeah, and uh, you might eventually get into art history. That might be something you like. like half of the artists you named there I didn't know. And now I'm like, ooh, what was sure. all this that you were talking about? They're they're good painters. Look for the impressionists. They they made some really great things. Okay, so what is involved in creating a typical page of any graphic novel, either Cody or something else? That is also a very good question. So there is a, a process involved, and basically it's a lot of planning to get down to the actual page. So for me, 
like I said, I typically will storyboard and kind of come up with a bunch of different visual ideas that I sort of translate into an outline of words, which I then translate into a thumbnail version, which is sort of the key to the to the graphic novel. So I draw the whole graphic novel, basically the size of credit cards or business cards, like small, tiny version of it, at just basically stick figures or whatever. And, and that way you can do you know, a couple different versions or iterations of each individual page until you find the way that it works the best for you. Seeing a stick figure of just like a giant bear would be really weird, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of that would just be a, a big circle, you know, <laughs> with a little stick figure for Katya. But yeah, so you, I'll basically do a thumbnail version and then that's how I can tell my editor, okay, it's going to be like 182 or whatever, 150 pages or whatever it ends up being. I'll get an idea for the story. And I sort of toggle back and forth between storyboarding and the outline because I'm I'm always trying to I play the scene in my head kind of like a metronome for a musician, if that makes sense, which is like the little thing that you put on a piano or whatever instrument and it ticks to give you the I don't know the word for it. Tempo. Tempo. Thank you. I, I don't know why I would go for a music analogy when I know nothing about music, <laughs> but uh, the tempo of the music, it gives you the refrain like the the beat, so to speak, to stick to. And so when I'm doing the pages, I will maybe think, okay, well, I want things to speed up here because it's an intense moment. So maybe I'll have a lot of little moments or I want this to be funny. So I want to make sure I'm getting this sort of reaction or a couple beats in a row or a lesson I've learned from Miyazaki since you were Totoro fans is I like to have moments where we just calm down and go quiet for a minute. So, you know, Miyazaki will have these transitional moments where we leave the scene and we just look at a pond or what, or, you know, a tree and a raindrop falls. And he has these really kind of poetic quiet moments because it gives you a second to sort of rest, slow down and not just be in a constant roller coaster ride forward. So I'm always trying to think of that, think of how the timing is working for the panel and make sure that it reads kind of like at whatever tempo that I want it to read at. But yeah, so you, I do the miniature thumbnail version, figure out exactly how I want it. And then uh, I will make notes all over the margins in terms of how I want it lit, because that's very important to me. So if something is tumultuous or so something is sad, I'll put, okay, make sure the scene is maybe rainy, or I'll try to think of a way that I can make the scene. I, my goal is to make the person feel the, the, feeling in the atmosphere without actually having to write out like this is sad or whatever. <laughs> so like you know like for Katya when she's running through the woods and the sort of threshold is approaching it starts to rain really bad it starts to get very cloudy and stormy and and um just to give you the sense of turmoil of you know because if, if her running through a sunny forest is much different than her running through the rainy forest uh, and not being able to see her way so to speak and then um you know, the end of the story, for example, I wanted to end at a very kind of golden hour, you know, when we do see Cody, when we do see the wrap up, everything is sort of right at sunset. So the sky is constantly an array of pinks and oranges and all kinds of like kaleidoscope of colors, because there's a sort of in inherent like beauty to that. And also a feeling of conclusion, you know, like this thing is coming to an end, like the day in that sense is coming to an end. So I'll put all these kind of notes of how I want the scene lit. You know, if it's interior, how I can, I usually try to use spotlight, so to speak, which is like, I use, I like to use light through a window or if they're in the forest, I'm, I'm really, I will use, uh, people will call it God rays or like Rembrandt style 
spotlight through the trees where the light will just come, you know, just through some particular leaves and create a sort of spotlight. So I'll write all my notes in terms of what I want for lighting and then send those to your boss, your editor, whatever. And the writer, if you're working with a writer, then they give you the approval. If they approve of that, then, or, you know, usually you have notes, you go through and adjust, and then, then you go to the final boards. So I get the final boards and, um, and just, I, I typically like to just pencil. Some people will work in terms of finish a page after a page. I like to pencil the whole way through. Uh, and then I paint pretty much the whole way through. So I usually ink very little, uh, and on top of the painting. So I typically will draw the whole thing with a pencil. I don't usually draw my backgrounds, which is something that's been nice because people I've worked with in the past have gotten used to it. So people at RK and Johansson and boom and, um, and then top shelf who, who does Cody have all been very kind. Usually people like to know exactly what it's going to be. A lot of times I don't like to draw the background because it's sort of secondary to me. I tend to like to think of everything as very simple planes of light. So if it's a building or the inside like cabinetry, it's all just sort of rectangles to me. I try to think of it just as an object being lit by light, whatever that light source is. So I don't draw a lot in the way of a background. I try to let the light sort of in the context of the scene communicate what the background is. And then I will paint the whole thing. And then I like to ink on top of the paint with ink on just the object of interest or just the character of interest, just because again, going back to that sort of thing that drew me to art, I really like the old Xerox Disney and like Winnie the Pooh, Robin Hood, Jungle Book, where you have inked character on a very loosely painted, uh, whimsical hand-painted background. And that's always something that's appealed to me and something that I've, I've just literally copied in my own work, which is taking a character who is with the object of interest where you're drawing your focus and inking that character, but then setting them on a traditional loose, loosely painted background. And then it's done. And then you scan and then you send that to the editor. And if they like it, then I will do the words on top digitally and then send that in. If they like it, then, then, uh, then you put the thing together. Thanks for listening to part one of our interview with artist and author Jared Cullum. You can find out more about Jared at his website, jaredcullum.com. That's J-A-R-E-D-C-U-L-L-U-M.com. And you can follow him on Twitter. Look for his handle, at Jared underscore Cullum. He's always posting pictures there, things that he's drawing. Uh, it's just incredible. So follow him. You won't be disappointed. Uh, look for his book, Cody, at any bookstore or order it wherever you get your books. I'd highly recommend it. It's a wonderful visual treat. The story is great. And as I said, we all loved him. Thank you so much, Jared, for spending time talking with us. And we'll be back next week with part two of our interview with Jared Cullum. Thanks for listening to Lunchbox Reaction. We'll see you all next week at the lunch table.